Material Components, Season 2 Episode 1, Oracle Zero Assemble Greetings and welcome to Material Components, the actual play RPG show all about a galaxy of magic and the adventurers who live there. I am your Dragon Master, Mike Gargoni, and joining me, as always, are my stalwart adventurers. Hey, adventurers. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having us. Good to see you. (laughs) Uh, Hey, everybody. I am Olivia, and I don't, we didn't talk about if we were saying who we were. Uh, right off the bat. You should. Just, yeah, why not? All right. Uh, and I am, we just don't know who these people are. Uh, and I am playing uh, Florian of Akalar. I am Elliot, and I'm playing uh, Shanam, or Shay for short. I am Michael, and I'm playing Oswald Octavian Theophilus III, archivist extraordinaire. Hey, I'm Reed, and I'll be playing Amari. Indeed. Just Amari. Just Amari. I have a pension for just one. Just Amari this time now. <laughs> yeah, I know, but we don't need to talk about his last name because I don't want to talk about his last name because it doesn't matter right now. It's true. But of course, yes, we are here for season two, starting up with a uh, a new system, a semi-new setting, one that we visited briefly before uh, back in season one. One of the first one shots, in fact. Uh, But we are here now with uh, stretching our wings out beyond the 5th edition and into parts unknown. Um, Talked about it briefly in our Arcane Focus, but we will be using a system of my own devising, uh, playtested by the kind folks you also hear alongside me, uh, as well as a, a volume of other people in the near future, I'm sure. Uh, because going forward, I hope to expand the system out into public reaches to help with the development. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, just to give a brief overview of the system so that people kind of have an understanding of what we're doing while we're doing it. Uh, this system resembles uh, others like Cortex and Blades in the Dark to a certain extent. You have a tactic which is kind of your approach to how one might do a certain action. Our six tactics that we have in front of us are, uh, of course, bold, careful, clever, forceful, quiet, and swift are our six tactics. And then we have our talents. It's true. Yeah, sexy is the secret seventh talent. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yep. Talents are a lot like skills. Uh, you use a combination of tactics and talents to try to accomplish things in this game. The tactics, well, we'll go into the tactics as we go into it. Uh, but each tactic can also be specialized in ways in which our players make up their own specializations. So there is a bit of a player customization on top of all of the, the nitty-gritty crunch that comes with assigning dice to both tactics and talents. On top of that, all of the players have what's called an Aether Pool. That is a pool of D6s that they can use that represents their character's own personal etherics or magic. That is uh, kind of designed into this setting and system. Everything in the Dragon's Wake galaxy, the setting that we find ourselves in now, contains magic. That magic is called Aether. And etherics is the working of that Aether. Most people in the galaxy have etherics. 
There are a limited few who do not, based on their upbringing, culture, and species. But for the most part, every single sapient individual in the Dragon's Wake galaxy has access to Aether. And Aether is in everything. Lights, doors, weapons, ships. Aether has been used to achieve all the technological marvels of galaxy-spanning empires, criminal underworlds, and the all the myriad organizations in between. As such, those who specialize in Aether and Etherics are called Aethericists. That ranges from mages who specialize in singular focuses, like a gun mage or a light mage. We also have wizards, people born with the ability to control the field around etheric objects. Because there is the charge, and then there is the field. And etherics flows and ebbs within both. Where we find ourselves now is in the Dragon's Wake, technical bits aside. It is a galaxy that is interesting insofar as it contains the only known source of the element Atheum. That element suffuses all matter in this galaxy, giving its people access to Aether and Etherics. Before the advent of spaceflight, folks were able to use their Etherics, their magic, to change the world around them, advance their civilizations, and affect the universe. But it is through that connection to Aether that people on distant worlds were able to reach out into the void and know that they were not alone. Through contact via a spirit realm, they were able to look out into the universe and know that there were other peoples on distant worlds, and so many of the societies of the Dragon's Wake reached out to the stars. Eventually, this spirit realm, this metanet, would turn into something resembling the internet, dominated by pornography and cat pictures, but not until well after the advent of spaceflight. Species from around the galaxy achieving interstellar travel via etherics and via a workaround in physics known as warping. Using a tertiary dimension known as the void, everyone in the galaxy is capable of interstellar travel via three-minute periods. In th just three minutes, an individual can cross interstellar distances that would be otherwise impossible or take a lifetime. But with the power of etherics and the dimension known as the Void, folks are able to get across the galaxy in about as much time as it takes to steep a pot of tea. The Dragon's Wake galaxy is filled with empires and kingdoms ranging from galactic in scale to dominating only a single planet. Two such civilizations recently clashed, the Conus Empire and the Minos Dominion. The war between these two civilizations is a long-going and sordid affair that we need not talk about here. What is important is that conflict came to a head five years ago, during the events known as the Shattering. In the name of vengeance, or so the propagandists of the Conus Empire would have us believe, the Maguses of the Conus Empire led a bloody blitzkrieg across the galaxy glassing worlds and committing atrocities the likes of which the galaxy had not seen in nearly five millennia since the last Grand Galactic War. In the wake of this destruction, the Minus Dominion, the largest civilization and culture in the galaxy, was left in ruin. 
the absolute devastation wrought in the name of quote-unquote vengeance has left vast swaths of the galaxy as war-torn ruins. The southern and eastern reaches of the galaxy, once the power centers of the Minos Dominion, now lay in scattered and broken ruin. Much of the civilization there is still being put back together by those brave enough to do so, and in the cracks between it all, worlds fall into disarray and into chaos. And that is where the Coal Foundation comes in. Begun well before the current conflict, the Coal Foundation is focused on healing the rift between the Conus Empire and the Minos Dominion. A noble goal, to be sure, and perhaps a foolhardy one, but one that has left many in this organization wondering if they're just playing cleanup after each skirmish between the two civilizations. That goal has shifted dramatically in the last five years. In the wake of the shattering, the Coal Foundation has moved into a more humanitarian effort, trying to ease the wounds that have been wrought due to the shattering, bringing disaster relief and aid where they can, sometimes having to cauterize the wounds left by the Conus Empire. The organization has grown by leaps and bounds, with investors from every walk of life coming out of the woodwork post the shattering, trying to put their influence and stamp on the recovery of the southern and eastern reaches of the galaxy. Some of these influences may not be as virtuous as the Cole Foundation would have most of the public believe. Our heroes, our adventurers, find themselves working for the Cole Foundation. Coming from many walks of life, they all have their own reasons for being here, and as we will discover, they all have their own, well, let us call it motivations for being involved in a group like the Cole Foundation. It has been six months, roughly, since a lot of you have joined up. In that time, you have seen much of what ruins are left of the Minos Dominion, and those worlds not even of the Dominion, but were left shell-shocked by the conflict between these two great galactic powers. And with the Conus Empire left victorious and now on the rise, there are many who look to the western reach towards the Empire's center of power and wonder, is it just a matter of time before they reach out and try to dominate that which they have defeated in battle. For now, though, the Empire consolidates its power in the western reaches of the galaxy, and the Cole Foundation does its grim, at times, but hopeful work out there amongst the stars, trying to heal, trying to mend, and trying to bring a little hope back into an area of the galaxy that has long since been without it. We see now aboard a ship, perhaps? There's certainly a hum, distant, of ship-borne etheric drives, that low hum of energy that you cannot escape within the confines of any vessel of significant size. Any who have a decent amount of ability in etherics can sense the hum of a ship that powerful, 
just to keep itself moving, keep itself aloft, let alone all of its systems working, takes a tremendous, an enormous amount of power. Someone as sensitive as, say, a wizard, it's almost hard to keep a focus on any given conversation, given the amount of power thrumming around you. But we see the Devil King walk forward, his smile long and broad, dripping with malice and evil, his every motion malicious, thoughtful. He grins a wide, horrific grin that speaks of deeds yet to be done. He approaches the sleeping girl at the desk and says, with a voice dripping with evil, Wake up. It's time we got to work. Shay, as the entertainment hollow you're watching buzzes and clicks off, the captain's voice rings out over the shipboard calm and says, We'll be approaching the Talgun system in less than a minute. Brace for entering real space. Shay, the episode ends rather disappointingly. You thought the late third act, like, bit with the clones was a bit much? Like, how are they gonna... How are they gonna cover all of this in the next season? It's, I mean, it's a lot, and it's a bit convoluted. Um, it was alright. But it's fairly popular, that's the thing. I mean, it was binge-worthy, for sure. <laughs> but yeah, a couple of dangling plot threads, and some of it didn't quite make a ton of sense. But you Love- think it all came together in the end? Yeah. The the bit right at the end there where the the uh, half-elf boy got to see his mom. Oh, man. Heartstrings. Tugging at my heartstrings, that one. God. Yeah, that bit's, uh, that bit's overrated, you know. So. You all hear this announcement cling through the ship. The voice of the captain of the Storm's Repose. The ship that you all have been calling your home for the last six months. The captain, Palavar Hexway. A Midrian himself, an older gentleman of uh, quite a bit of reputation among the Cole Foundation. Uh, if he says there is less than a minute until entering, then that is the accurate estimation. No reason to believe otherwise. All you know is that all the windows of the storm's resp- repose have been sealed as to not allow anyone to look out into void space. One does not look into the void. That is a quick way to go space crazy. Can't have that. But as a wizard, Shay, you can't help but have a, a sense of expectation for that moment when your ship will slip back into real space. Because as a wizard, you can sense the energies of the ship, but you can also sense that greasy, oily sensation just beyond. Beyond the bulkhead that keeps you safe, that keeps oxygen in your body, there is that horrible, grasping sensation of the void. It wants to get in. It is only modern technology that allows ships like the Storm's Repose to slip the way it does through this unnatural space. So in less than a minute, you'll be free of that sensation, and it couldn't come soon enough. kind of wish my show had lasted, like, a little bit longer. Amari. Like distracting myself from knowing how much the outside wants to kill me. The other finder team leaders are gathered up in the main situation room aboard the Storm's Repose. It is a motley group of individuals, to be sure. 
They come from all walks of life, most of them ex-military of one stripe or another. Some give you sideways glances, clearly ex-legionnaires of the Khanis Empire. Some look at you with recognition and respect. A couple, a sense of reverence, those who perhaps fought on the side of the Dominion as you did during the Shattering, know your reputation, know the deeds that brought you here. Some of them look at you curiously, wondering what a war hero like yourself is doing in a place like the Cole Foundation. Not all eyes are on you, but you can feel them occasionally. All you know is that you are going to be told exactly what the situation is on Talgun 3 as soon as you drop into real space. Already you can see Operations Director Victoria Silvaro organizing her notes at the top of the table. She shuffles some data pads off to one side, and hovering imagery of text and images of disaster zones flick in front of her, broadcast up from the tabletop she sits at. She adjusts and moves the images with her hands, making the aether within the projections move to her will. You see quick flashes of rogue elementals, devastated cities, and the last image, the one she stops on and stares at thoughtfully, is very worrisome indeed. A shattered moon hovering over a planet. Mari's just going to take it all in. I mean, she's obviously worried about this. There's nothing that he can say in the moment that's going to be like, oh yeah, no, feel, feel better, champ. The other team leaders sit up and in expectant expectation, they all look over to a clock off to one side that counts down the last few seconds before you drop out of the void and into real space. Oswald, there isn't much information on Talgun 3. Hmm. It is apparently a world of little note in the Southern Reach, best known for a particular type of barley wine that is apparently only ripens in the winter. Other than that, you don't know why this world would have much in the way of significance, but apparently it got in the way of either the Dominion or the Empire. You're not sure which. It barely matters. Hmm. Well, um, uh, let's see. Um, if there's not much discovered here, um, let's see. Uh, that means there must be some secrets. Um, let's see. Well, we've got barley wine. Um, hmm. That's really not much to go on. Although I would like to try it. I have had quite a few barley wines in my time, that's for sure. Uh, perhaps this one is good. Um, uh, let's see. What else is there? Nothing. No. 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 Um, let's see. And uh, uh, he checks uh, the pockets of his uh, sort of... Uh, he has like a white sort of uh, coat over him. Uh, Avia don't uh, typically wear clothing. Um, they're feathered uh, bird, dinosaur-esque creatures. Um, and so he reaches in, but he, he has like a, an overcoat on um, with the insignia of, of uh, an A um, uh, signifying, uh, I don't know if, if we need to get into that now, Mike. It but, is a stylized A with... Uh... It is flanked by a symbol that looks a little bit like a winged serpent of some kind, and a symbol that looks like a star uh, with some filigree around its pointed edges. 
<sighs> well, if I could just find something that hasn't been discovered yet, and then I could get a little bit of money so I could buy some more booze. <laughs> you hear the captain's dulcet voice over the shipboard comm announcing 30 seconds until real space. Oh, thank God. Oh, actually, wait, I have a little bit left. Mm. Uh, and he downs the, the last of his um, uh, strange, exotic, bubbling liquor. Um, it makes him um, uh, queasy. And then he goes, uh, runs over to the sink, throws up, and it's like, oh, that's a lot better. I just have to get that out before uh, something sneaks up on me. Florian, across from you, the ogre looks intently down at the hand of cards that he holds, staring over the rim of those cards up at you, eyes flicking back down to the cards, and then over to the sizable pot that sits between the two of you. Master Chief Petty Officer Jephethi Olympius Marius Harkin VII is not an ogre to be trifled with, to be sure, but having roped him into this game of Queen's Court, he seems now reticent to bet anything more than what is required, despite the fact that it is now just down to the two of you, everyone else having gone broke or bust at some point. Florian has his his hat, which is like a like a wide brimmed hat, pulled kind of kind of low across his across his eyes, um, and he's like peering out from underneath it at at Jephethi, much as Jephethi is kind of peering at him, and he will look to the pot, look at his cards, and then and then he'll grin. And push the rest of his pile and say, all in. And as the captain's steady voice announces 30 seconds until real space, Jephthi looks at his cards, looks at the pot, looks at the little remaining jewels he has in front of him, and then glances up at the ceiling and says, Well, unfortunately, um, duty calls, so I'm afraid I'm going to have to uh, walk away with what I've got left. Uh, apologies. <laughs> Uh, and Florian will let out a like a pretty pretty boisterous laugh and say, "Oh, you you got me there, Jeffy, but I'll I'll get you next time." Uh, uh, of course, and he'll scrape the the meager remains of his money back into a pocket before standing up to his full nine feet tall and clomping away to report to his superior officer. Meanwhile, some of the other security staff around let out low moans and disappointed shouts. Uh, a couple of hands slap you on the shoulder. A couple of dirty looks are cast your way as you walk away with more than a few of these security team's money. I was going to say, uh, I will will fairly quickly gather up uh, what remains of the pot and stand up to my seven feet of height and say, uh, well... You heard him. Duty calls. Back to work, everybody. As the security teams and other finder team members break up from this location, you count your money, uh, realizing that uh, th the bluff you put forward might have worked on Jephethi, but others, well... Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> 
But within a few seconds, you all feel the lurch. This tug. Somewhere deep in the pit of your stomach, behind your navel. It is this jerking sensation. It never gets better. As the storms repose, the, one of the great ships of the Coal Foundation comes out into real space, leaving the void. Shay, you feel all the systems throb momentarily as the consciousness of the shipboard navigator wizard leaves the other systems around you. You are now free to leave your chamber without any fear of mingling consciousness with another wizard who happens to be in every system of the ship during void travel. Yeah. <sighs> Other minor wizards like yourselves similar in experience have a similar experience to yours when traveling through the void. You know that the consciousness of wizard second class Halcyon of furthest thought is more than enough to override your elvish senses and slave you much like those who are of a clan might, if you're not careful. Yeah, stand on my toes first. The ready room is abuzz with activity and words as a view screen suddenly reveals itself above all of you in the situation room. It is a projection of a screen somewhere far above you, in the storm's repose, and it shows a world sitting quite gently in the reaches of space, dark, glimmering lights of stars just behind it, the sun only just now cresting over its western horizon. You see it light up with a brilliant blue-green sea that swirls with islands and several large continents that you can see. But as the light crests and the storm's repose moves into a wide orbit, you're quickly made aware of the situation that you've come to try to help with. As the ruinous crater of all that remains of a third continent come into view, and the shattered moon beyond comes into view as well. Something, and you don't know what just yet, has broken the moon of Talgon Three. This is not necessarily a new problem, but it is one that the Cole Foundation has now come to try to help with. Already, you can see readouts and data pouring into the station just in front of Operations Director Silvaro. She, her hands are moving, blurred, flicking. She is catching data as it comes in with her hand, the projection floating just in front of her, and she'll flick it down the table. It will whir, the projection holograms flicking down before settling in front of different team leaders. Assignments that Director Silvaro is meeting out as they come in, to who she thinks is the best capable of dealing with them in the moment. The Storm's Repose, that vast ship of the Cole Foundation, moves to shadow the Broken Moon. As assignments are... Flicked out, slowly but surely, the room begins to empty as Finder team leaders stand up, copying their assignments onto data cams and leaving the situation room. Fairly quickly, you are one of the few Finder team members left, and Director Silvaro's eyes will flick up at you, seeing you sitting down wind of her at the table. She will get a slightly 
consternated look on her face before her eyes will flick about the incoming data, shake her head slightly, and grab something out of the air of projection and flick it down the table towards you. I'll take it. I assume that was for me. Um, what, uh, what, infor- what, what, what are we doing? What, uh, what information do we have? Why was that moon destroyed? Was it perhaps some sort of interdimensional intrusion into the sector of the galaxy? Just a guess. Suddenly your companion, Oswald, is here in the Situation Room. Oh, hello! I have a way of just kind of working my way in. Um, listen here. Uh, and, I, and I sort of gesture to um, to uh, Amari. Uh, n- listen, no need to handle it. If you want to go uh, take a take a day off, I can. I can. I, I I think that Florian and I can probably handle it. Uh, is there a way that I can take the data thing from him? The data is just hovering on the table. Whoever decides to capture it into a data cam. Would be the first right. Can it. I take it from his data cam? Can I take his data cam? Can I take that? Can yeah, I have that? You thing? can just take the physical now? object. Great, cool. Give me that shit. Um, uh, why would you? You just go and do what you do. I don't know. Lick yourself in your room or whatever. I don't know. Um, and then I'm going to, I'm going to fire you. <laughs> I'm going to uh, try and take it out of the room and find the rest of the rest of my crack team. Amari, what do you do? I, I mean, th- is this the first time this has happened, or is this like a normal occurrence, Oswald? Based what? on how casual it was, that sounds like it happens a lot. <laughs> I'm just oh, looking oh, back oh. and forth at <laughs> at uh, Silvaro and Oswald. Like Oswald, did you leave? Oh yeah, are you still here? No, I'm I'm waddling out of the room. Something's going to need to be done about him. All right, here we go. Okay, I chase after him. Okay, and, and by chase I mean I walk like with dignity after him. I'm not giving chase immediately. Director Silvaro will spare you a lingering glance before rolling her eyes and going back to the data that's incoming. She's not said a word through any of this. Mm-hmm. As you're walking down the corridor after your erstwhile companion, Amari, another lean paw will slap you on the shoulder as another finder team leader will stroll past you. He'll adjust his sunglasses slightly, uh, wearing them indoors, despite the average lighting situation here being perfectly acceptable for any species, as (laughs) Axel Amandito... Leader of Team Hyper Alpha will say, "Good luck out there, buddy." <gasps> I know that. I know that voice. Is that Axel Amandito? Oswald, one and only, Oswald. my little bird, bro. That is oh, wow. It's I, I. We've been working together for 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 a time now, but your presence is really? still so. I I believe so. At least a couple months. Um. It's still, wow, time flies. Well, it, it I'd sh- best be going. Team Hyper Alpha needs me, so you be good, new guy. Thanks. Oh, did you hear that? He called me new guy. <sighs> Shay walks up on the scene. Oh, Axel, sorry to miss you. Mm. Buy me a drink later? Sure. Probably. I'm sorry, who are you? Shay, I've introduced myself, like, 
It's fine. Right. Have a good mission. You too. <sighs> so pretty. So stupid. I don't embarrass myself. <laughs> but Florian probably, uh, knowing that this has happened, will probably uh, find the rest of you. I, Because it sounds like this is a common occurrence. It's probably just like, yeah, Oswaldo probably probably stole the data again and ran off. And Mari's probably chasing him down. Shay knows what's up, so no probably. Before we get started, let me just download this information into the archive very quickly, just to make sure that they have, you know, that information. It's important. Don't worry about it. And uh, then we can get started. Sound good? All right. See you in five minutes. Oswald? Uh, yes? Oswald. Yes? You're going to take the data and put it, you're going to upload the data to the archive. Yes. I don't think that's a good idea. That's our information, don't you think? Well, but I don't really understand. That's, knowledge that's proprietary is proprietary Cole Foundation information. Uh, knowledge is something that should be shared with the masses of Dragon's Wake. Can I? Can I? Can I see the data really quick? Can uh, I just see it for a second? In five, in can five I see minutes. it? I'll be no, right back. No, right five now. Minutes, right now. Minutes. Hey, Oswald. No. Yeah. I will eat you for dinner. Uh no, you will not do that. Uh, I, I start have licking a... my chops. Okay, that's mm -hmm. completely uncalled for. Um, mm -hmm. Data, please. Okay, but after I give it to you, can I right? Just... Mm -hmm. Okay, yes. yes. Okay. Five mm -hmm. minutes. Just give me okay. a second. Give me yeah. a second. Thank yeah. you. Here you go. Thank you. Thank you. Your hand. What over does the, the information cam, say? Jesus. Slim, thin <laughs> crystal geez. that is about as long as your finger. Uh, you would have to. Either project it yourself using your own etherics or upload it to a data tablet of some kind. Oh, there's my spectacles right here. They have direct access to the archive's information. Oh, buddy, he's not giving that data back. Florian, mm -hmm. <laughs> oh. do me a favor. Don't, 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 don't. All right. Uh, yeah. So how can I can I just project it? How much uh, oomph do I need to put into this to project it? I would say if you spent an aether dice, that'd be very easy. Okay. Uh, is there uh, anything readily accessible? Was there like a data terminal that I could just kind of? You probably have your own di personal data pad as well. Oh, perfect. Then I'll just use that. In which case, yeah, don't even need to spend anything because you have a device Great. built specifically for it. Hmm, cool. Uh, projecting that out in front of you as the four of you are walking down the the wide corridors of the storm's repose, you see that this is yet another somewhat disappointing assignment. It is a simple distress beacon on the far side of the world on a archipelago of islands south of the disaster zone. There's also the basic information about what happened here on Talgun 3. But that would take some scrolling through and isn't easy to consume while walking. Yeah, I'm looking for the basic like mission parameters and then kind of dole those out. And then once that's over, our information sky can take care of it. There I, is so. yeah, a stress beacon that has been launched from an archipelago of islands that needs to be triangulated, located and assessed. All right. Oswald, it's all yours. Yes! And I take it and I, like, run into my room. Yeah, and I will go ahead and, because I believe the way that these work, I actually, there's a mental, basically a control, I can control it and shift through these spectacles that I, that are sort of pinched onto my sort of 
we established that they have like a a, a snout or a beak. I'm it's trying a, to. It's a it's a it's a calcified snoot with a teeth. calcified snoot with teeth. Yeah, think a pterodon. Um, yeah, and yeah, because I don't have uh, ears in sort of an external sense, um, they just kind of pinch onto spectacles just sort of uh pince nez onto my uh snoot mm-hmm. um and i control i can navigate that with uh eye movements as well as uh, sub thoughts mm-hmm. um, so glasses they're yeah, essentially google, it's glass. google glass yeah has anyone <laughs> um, used google glass before because i no. have no i've never used underwhelming that. <laughs> underwhelming these sound much much cooler um and so i do my best and upload that information. these are called archive specs yep i hate the name okay uh, and I upload that information, you know, see if it's worth any money. I guess I won't know right away. It'll have to get approved, of mm-hmm. course, by my editor. But um, yes, and the the editing process generally takes about a day. Yeah. Um, so I upload that. I walk back out, and I'm like, "All right, let's do this." Are we? We're not. No, we're I'm, doing it. Just okay. What are you doing right now? <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready to go. Can't you see? I did my pose, and I hold up oh, my, my two oh, hands. Right. Yes, everyone uh, knows about the pose. Um, yeah. Yes, right. The pose. The pose. And he's reaching out with his arms, which are like kind of short and like they almost don't fully reach to the front of him. Um, they're all they're like little T Rex arms. Um, with sort of uh, feathers, almost like a like they could be wings, although he's not. As wing. the four of you troop down the corridors of the Storm's Repose to the hangar bay, uh, moving towards your uh, small independent shuttle, uh, your pilot already starting up and waiting for you. Who are the four individuals that we see trooping oh. into the hangar bay of your shuttle? Who wants to go first? I'll go first. Um, since, since already, I mean, it's appropriate already, since you're the leader. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh, none God, of the paperwork or assignments or any That's of the officiating anything. documents yeah. say that. No, yeah. no, I'm pretty sure they matters. all say me, but you know, um, who can read around here anyway? Uh, so um, uh, Oswald is about four foot nothing, um, is sort of a squat round um, sort of a lizard-like creature um, with arms that, as I said, barely reach, uh, feathered all the way down with sort of like a a golden um, brown uh, tint to them, um, wears a a sort of a long sort of uh, coat um, with various pockets to keep um, uh, one for for booze, one for like uh, for money, um, identification, that kind of stuff. and uh yeah and he has like a little head that sort of comes up and forward um with with beady eyes that kind of get uh sort of magnified with the spectacles that are pinched onto his nose uh, and a short little tail yeah as a member of the avia species you are very much stand out here in the the storm's repose there are very few others of your kind here that is not to say that people give you odd looks or anything. It's just that a uh, a feathered lizard individual is one of the rarer sights in the Dragon's Wake galaxy. Yep. Uh, I think maybe not next to Ozzy, maybe more like uh, kind of 
like herding him. I imagine he kind of gesticulates and walks, you know, he, he waddles around. And I think Florian is just kind of like, oh, okay, oh, it's, it's this. All right. It's this way. Come oh, Okay. Is Florian, who is, as I said, um, very tall because he is uh, a Toro, which is a bull man. <laughs> big, he beefy boy. A big, <laughs> beefy boy <laughs> we found um, the beef we where's have the beef where's the beef it's here <laughs> what's got two thumbs and is the beef florian <laughs> oh my god he definitely has a shirt that says that <laughs> what's got two thumbs and is the beef <laughs> beef doesn't mean the same thing in this in this universe no, apparently not <laughs> um he is dressed in, um, I, I don't know how common, like, organic fabric is, um, but he is wearing it, so. Um, common <laughs> enough. He, yeah. He is wearing um, what, yeah, might be kind of like leather-esque um, pants um, and is wearing uh, a, like, low-cut collared tank basically that's like a like a bright almost like neon dark yellow i know that those words don't fit together but it's like a like a dark yellow that's really vibrant um and a a jacket that is only one sleeved so his left arm is exposed but his right arm is covered um he's also wearing like thick um like workman's gloves that he wears all the time has a big old knife strapped to the his hands work right side and on the left he also has what looks like a flask but um probably not alcohol <laughs> he gets all of that from ozzy your hooved feet clomp down the corrugated metal corridors in once you get towards the hangar it's good you think people are starting to get used to your presence aboard this ship only two midrians flinched and got out of your way as you were coming down the hall sometimes the Racial divide between Midrian and Taro, the, some might say, core of the conflict between the Khanis Empire and the Minas Dominion, uh, it tends to cast a, a long shadow in the Dragon's Wake galaxy. But people of the Cole Foundation work hard to get over it. Probably not helped by Florian's basic thought of himself as just a very tall Midrian. So he probably doesn't, yeah, probably doesn't help that he's overly friendly right away. Uh, Shay, <laughs> uh, I know we haven't gone to Amari yet, but I'm just going to say that Shay looks very out of place with this group. Um, and not just because uh, of the fact that they are an elf. Um, so the, the most quote unquote humanoid looking. But uh, what might even have... say Midrian-esque? Midrian-esque, yes. Um, they have, you know, the, the long pointy ears, but they just look like a mess. Like a fifth element looking mess. <laughs> <laughs> they have um, hair a in a... Yeah. Messy hair up in a messy bun. Um, it's like a really dark magenta, like burgundy, but more on the pink side. Um, they have two eyebrow piercings. What would the, uh, the color code be? I don't know yet. <laughs> That's called growth. That's called growth. 
<laughs> I only have black and white sketches of this character. So okay, okay, fuck off. just checking. What the, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> My brand. Um, they have two eyebrow piercings on their left eyebrow, a nose stud. They're wearing like a super tight cropped uh, top and leggings, but like the legging is one leg is full and the other is like a short booty short length. One like thigh high st- stocking. <laughs> one arm has like like a quarter compression sleeve over the elbow, and the other arm is like a fishnet up to the mid arm. <laughs> Were you at a fucking uh, like uh, an under the overpass rave earlier? Yes. Where's your gas mask? At, Constantly. Dude? Shit. Um, it's like you took uh, a hot like, topic and a Claire's and just shook them like a martini. <laughs> Yeah, and threw some s- space much. in there too. When you grow up in a space cult, and then you get out. <laughs> oh man! Yeah, yeah I know that um, feel. Yeah. <laughs> and then o- over it is like this is the most Fithelma looking part of it to me because it's like a tank top, but it's cut all the way down to the stomach, and it's barely any. It's barely anything as a piece of fabric, but I look sexy. <laughs> and that's the most important part. Sure. And as um, an elf, it is a striking, striking look. There are other elves aboard this ship that will do double takes. Still, to this day, six months in, as they glance at you and realize that you are one of their own. No clanned elves aboard this ship, thankfully. Uh, but those who are here, all minor wizards or unclanned, definitely look at you in a combination of horror and respect. There is a, yep. a rogue nature to Shay that is not subtle and announces itself clearly in every situation. Um, I guess finally bringing up the the train of this hodgepodge and spacefaring weirdos, is Amari. Amari is a, a Leon, and he is wearing a, well, I guess I should explain what a Leon is. It's a big l- cat-like lion man. It's awesome. But yeah, he is, um, I guess he's similar and not quite as tall as, um, as Florian. Right, Mike? I would say Size-wise. less beefy, yeah. Yeah, less beefy. Um, but still very large. Um, definitely not like Florian is. Florian looks like they lift. They lift. I believe we call that a brick shit house. Yes, a brick shit house. Yeah, Amari is a little bit more. I don't even do anything. I don't. I don't even work that's out. Not fair. Just... That's not fair. That's <laughs> not just fair. I just look like this. Look, when it comes um, to Taro, there's just extra to go around. Chair, please. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, Amari is like military fit. Good cardio, uh, enough to get from A to B, built enough to lift heavy objects um, repeatedly. But he is wearing, uh, I guess, whatever the Cole Foundation's like kind of fatigues are, um, their stock kind of uh, uniform, except he'll have like their 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 uh, jacket kind of open. Um, I'm assuming it's kind of some sort of white kind of thing to go along with the, the aid look. But uh, Amari has his his mane, um, and hair is important to the the Lian culture. Um, he has a bit of a mohawk, and on the sides, on each side, he has two braids that have been braided back to keep it away and out of his face. 
Yeah. So white lots of hair. and silver are the primary colors of the coal foundation with a series of bright red chevrons that denote the the organization's symbol. It is a a pair of interlocking V's that kind of form a type of interlocked chevron in bright red on the shoulder and along the back that denotes that you're working for the Cole Foundation. That is fairly universally known at this point as an aid organization. Which goes very well with the fact that he is his hair fur, you know, is is a pretty standard Leon Tawny, but his braids have uh any bits that he has uh, tied really tight are tied with kind of a red uh, cloth to hold it all back. So it goes good with the outfit. Uh, and question for you, Mike. Do Leon have standard uh, like Midrian like humanoid legs or do they have the the kind of cat? Slightly um, longer yeah. cat like legs with okay, uh, cool. paw feet. OK, so no boots then. Um, you can have footwear that has been custom built for your species. Taro tend to not, simply because hooves are their own form of protection. I was also literally about, about to say, if Taro do, Florian doesn't. He's that asshole who goes barefoot. In that case, I'll probably have some sort of military boot kind of thing mm-hmm. strapped up. Whatever that, the equivalent of that would be for a alien. Depends if your intent is to go into space at all. Mostly in footwear would be uh, open toe, uh, as to allow allow for claws to go in and out. But if one is planning on being in the vacuum of space, that becomes problematic. I mean, we're planning on taking a transport down. So, uh, assuming no, no full-toed shoes. (laughs) I would say the the standard military boot would definitely be closed-toe. Uh, simply for less exposure to, you know, shrapnel. Okay, third time's the charm. I'm wearing closed-toed shoes because <laughs> they're military, like, standard. Okay. Let's go with enough. that one. It goes to show how much stuff I decided about this character before we started recording. <laughs> As you come into the transport hangar, you can see that many of the transports are already lifting off. The shuttles that are used by the finder teams are located in this particular hangar bay. One of many aboard the Storm's Repose. And the scant few finder teams who remain, some stragglers coming from across the ship, catching up with the rest of their teams before loading up onto their shuttles and taking off. You see that the large Urson pilot who mans your particular shuttle is working on some last-minute fixes on the side of his vessel. Duma is always tinkering. Is there a name to this vessel? Uh, This particular shuttle doesn't have a particular name, or if it does, Duma has never shared it. All you know is that it is labeled as Shuttle Number 7. And seeing as how they really just love to give us the best missions, how how high quality is our shuttle? Is it the... It's cool quality standard. It's good. It's still... Nothing's falling apart here. The Storm's Repose is an older vessel among the Coal Foundation, but by no means is it ancient or falling apart. It is up to speed, and even more so in the last year or so. In the last cycle, that's what we call a year here in the Dragon's Wake, 
a lot of money, as I've said, has funneled into the Cole Foundation, and that ha- and that has led to many retrofits to older ships, including the Storm's Repose. Has recently come under a vast amount of repair and retrofits, making it a top of the line vessel once again. iPads in the bathrooms. <laughs> As you approach, your pilot, Duma, says, Ah! If it is not Finder Team Oracle Zero, come, come, we have much rescuing to do, yes? I love him. <laughs> yep, I will protect him. With How's me. the old girl running? <laughs> she is flying just fine. So long as we do not fall straight out of sky, that means we are good. And um, just out of curiosity, what are the chance, statistical probability of us just falling straight out of the sky? Ha ha ha! Aussie, you are using big words like that! It is matter of flying! Don't worry about static kicks, giggles! Yep. Well put. Uh, my confidence in you is unshakable. <laughs> Good. If we be shaking, that is bad sign. I should say so. I will, uh... I will clap him on the shoulder as I as I enter the enter the shuttle. <laughs> Duma will follow soon after the four of you. A, a good question about this particular shuttle's cargo hold is: Is it full with a certain uh, mechanical marvel? Oh, team leader. Yes, it is. Okay, fair it enough. It goes everywhere with me. If I could sleep with it, I probably would. Then the four like of you walk past bear. a large. Uh, please give us a description of this particular piece of equipment that you possess. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Amari, during the war, was a, a mech pilot, a part of the Armored Aether Corps. Um, and so he piloted a mech. They came in three different sizes. He piloted the largest one. I guess it would be a Yazada or a Seraph to the Midrian or the, the Khanus Empire. Um, it's a very large mech. Not like Gundam size. That's too big to fit into a shuttle. But this um, particular this... one is uh, a two-legged affair, yes? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very it's very humanoid. doesn't have much in the way of a head on it, just because there's no need to have a head on a thing that you climb inside of. Mm-hmm. But yes, it is very humanoid. It's got a, a two, uh, two legs and two arms, but on one arm it's kind of got like a very large kind of bulwark of a shield. Uh, with a notch in it, and then a kind of large gun in the right hand to kind of work as uh, the equivalent of a space sword, but it's not a sword, it's just a gun, because who needs swords in space? But it is a, it is a it's decently opulent affair. Um, lots of uh, white and, and chrome, and then it's also uh, kind of uh, embellished with uh, gold and red accents to kind of go along with Amari's own kind of palette. And this... Very regal. The Yazada is currently curled up into its off position, its legs tucked up beneath the cockpit as to be ready for someone to throw themselves into it. The arms kind of folded to the side, uh, curled up in a ready position, ready to unstrap the large armaments from the back. The four of you pass by the Yazada on your way up to the the passenger seats that are just behind the cockpit. This is a a Um. fairly... Uh, think like uh, a large transport helicopter in terms of size for this vessel. It is meant to shuttle both you and any kind of supplies you need for your missions up and down from the storm's repose. I keep wanting to say respite, but it's repose. Do we use respite a lot in something else? No, I don't know. 
That's anyway. a good word. It is a good word. But yes, uh, finder team, your designation, Oracle Zero, mount up into shuttle number seven, flown by your Urson friendly neighborhood pilot by the name of Duma. He will no. troop in behind you, uh, throwing some of his tools and equipment off to one side, uh, not necessarily particularly organized about stowing his tools for repairing the shuttle. He will fling himself down into an oversized chair and will say, Strap in! He's much in the way of debris in the atmosphere. Start putting it on. Oswald, I got to boost your seat right here, bud. Oh, thank you. And I get on an actual booster seat that definitely mm-hmm. yeah. exists. <laughs> no, yeah, no, 100%. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to remember the, in the um, description in the mission briefing, what is the season that we're going to be flying into on this part of the planet? Drinking season. Yeah. I think, actually. As you go over the mission brief, Shay, uh, Shay would ask what now? Sorry, I didn't realize that my uh, internet was cutting. Um, I was gonna. I just said that Shay asks a similar question. Okay. The seasons on this planet have been thrown out of whack. Apparently, the explosion of the moon has caused a vast amount of environmental and atmospheric damage to the planet. As such, you're not entirely sure, as there hasn't been any accurate data coming from Talgon 3 to give you a accurate idea of what part of the planet is in what season. Or if seasons would, even have any relevance anymore. Yeah. Would the destruction of a moon along with uh, a massive continent-sized crater mess with the the like polarization, the magnetic field of the entire planet? That's something that the other... Fi- maybe some other finder teams are going to find out. There is a I lot of unknowns going into Talgun 3 that... The mission of the Storm's Repose is to find out and see if they can help. What if, instead of going to the archipelago, we instead inspect that really cool-looking crater on the other side of the planet? Hmm? Isn't anyone curious as to what could have blown up their moon? Well, of course, but someone else is going to do that. Yes, but I want to... Right, you want to, but you yes. are getting paid to do this other thing, so we should uh, probably do the other thing first, and then afterwards we can take you to go get ice cream or dollars so or whatever. what you you're need. saying is that if we wrap up whatever it is we're doing quickly, then we get to go inspect that crater. I mean... No. <laughs> I'll take that I mean, as a yes. You shouldn't. <laughs> Uh, do we do we have any info on who sent this distress beacon? That's a good question. Looking into the uh, mission data you've been given, no, you do not, and that's part of the problem. Uh, I will also point out if anyone is, I, I'm assuming we are maybe all taking notes because we're professionals. Uh, Florian is using like analog, like pen and paper. He has oh. a little notebook. He's physically writing stuff in. Which is unheard of. Yup. Writing things down physically is an almost lost art. It takes so much time. Mm -hmm. And so much... Where do you keep it? Well, I just got a little pocket here. I mean... You could lose it. But it it can't can't store that much information, I would imagine. Why wouldn't you... I mean, there's so... It stores the information I need. I like it better. 
I mean, that's fine. <laughs> he just keeps keeps writing. I mean, I'm sure we uh, like uh, like none of us have gotten used to it. Just like why why it's like it's anyone it's like it's like someone's still using a Zoom now. Like, why do you yeah, keep, like why use your phone? <laughs> do you only listen to three songs? <laughs> Obama has one. I don't know. I don't. <laughs> you feel the engines of the shuttle thrum. You presume you've seen enough shuttles lift off from the outside, but the veins of aethite that run up and down the ship, that crystalline resource that powers so much technology in the Dragon's Wake, thrums with a bright blue. The drive core of this vessel, albeit a small one, still exists, hums somewhere beneath you. As the shuttle takes off, you feel its own artificial gravity asserting itself. So even when the shuttle begins to list forward, its nose dipping as it pushes itself forward, you don't feel any reorientation, despite looking out through the front view screen and seeing the floor of the shuttle bay zip past beneath you. The oblong, almost like ovoid disc-like construction that you're flying in is mirrored by the vast ship that encompasses the sky behind your shuttle as you exit through the hangar. The Storm's Repose is a vessel that was never designed to enter the atmosphere of a planet. Its large, dome-like superstructure lingers in the sky like a secondary moon when seen from the right angle. But it's the underside that is the most spectacular. Stalactites of buildings hanging from this large, circular superstructure like some kind of cave roof. It is almost a flying city. The Storm's Repose is a massive construct, meant to house tens of thousands of individuals, all with different specialities, all with different uh, expertise, and all of them working for the Cole Foundation to try to help a planet in need. Are there that many people living on the Storm's Repose? No. Is it at full capacity? It is okay. by no means at full capacity. It is designed to hold that many because, if need be, this is a ship designed to evacuate continents. As of right now, the full complement of crew is perhaps only 3,000 people strong. There are large sections of the ship that remain empty for long stretches of time because they're unneeded, unnecessary. You store supplies there when you don't have the people, and when you don't have either supplies or people, it lays dormant as to not use up excess power. So you're saying no one on board has ever said, we're going to need a bigger boat? Not not yet. If, if you ever required a, a, a bigger boat, quote-unquote... There's a serious, serious problem that requires a planetary evacuation, and you have yet to encounter a problem like that. Not giving you ideas, Mike. Don't use that against me. <laughs> oh, yeah, because he didn't already have something like that. I know, <laughs> but still, in case he didn't. Long veins of crystal work their way in a uh, circuit-like pattern across the dome of the storm's repose and down along the buildings. Power moving from the central core of this ship. A truly massive construction of shaped crystal that builds at the top of the dome, spreading out like a flower made of bright crimson, blue, purple, and white gemstones. It is truly a sight to behold. 
from a distance, especially as it hovers over the rim of a planet with the background of stars in the distance. Like mosquitoes or birds of a flock, hundreds of ships begin pouring out of the storm's repose, moving towards all corners of Talgun Three. Yours is but one of many, sent on missions of mercy and aid across the planet. As you are flying, your your pilot, the large bear folk, he has huge hairy arms that come out from a vest. Uh, his people disdain most clothing. They feel it is a little binding over their hairy bodies, but he wears some uh, tight utility shorts strapped with long bandoliers of tools and uh, other mechanics devices around his legs. He wears a vest with uh, quite a few pockets on it, and you can see the ritualistic scarring cut into the fur along his biceps and arms and running up his neck and across a little chunk of the left side of his face. The Urson earn a mark such as that for every person in their lives that they've helped, and Duma is covered in scars from arm to neck. That's badass. As you hit the atmosphere, there is a subtle shaking that runs through your shuttle, as is to be expected. Duma at one point lets out a low, chuckling laugh, and you feel inertia pulling to the left, and he will say, Sorry, he's piece of moon! As he pulls the ship hard to the left. You can see out the viewport that indeed, the atmosphere of the planet is ringed where it otherwise wouldn't be. A scattering of rock fragments scattered across a wide orbit of the planet. Within those rocks, you can see glittering gemstones. Aethite. That crystalline form of the element Aethium, that which brings Aether to all things within the Dragon's Wake. Aethite is only ever found in space, to be mined on moons and asteroids and other smaller planetary bodies. It requires the vacuum of space to grow for reasons that people still don't quite understand. Probably a science reason. There's a science reason, to be sure. It has a lot to do with the radiation and the bonding process with crystalline matrices. But anyway. Shush, nerd. (laughs) As you fly into the planet's atmosphere, you are heading towards this archipelago that has been designated by your mission assignment. It will be dusk on the planet when you arrive. The archipelago consists of five islands, one of which appears to be a smoking ruin. The water around it steams and boils, and you can see the red hot spikes of magma welling up from what appears to be a lance driven through the mantle of the planet where an island used to be. A large spar of moon still sticking up out of the ocean. The other four islands nearby appear undamaged, but otherwise growing dark. It is tough to say exactly what their situation is. They appear to be either blank smears of sand and craggy rock, but one appears to be choked with some kind of jungle vegetation. Um, As we get closer... um... Can I triangulate the uh, the signal? As you get closer, uh, Duma would level out and begin circling the islands for that express purpose. Perfect. Yeah, I would love to use 
I don't know. I, I don't know if there's a, if you use if you do the data pad if you use the data pad for that. But I would love to triangulate that signal. Okay. This sounds like you're trying to act meaningfully, and whenever it sure does someone tries to act meaningfully, they need to choose a tactic, they need to choose a talent, and they need to tell me whether or not they are going to be using any aether dice for their role. Um, go all in. I <laughs> yeah. <laughs> First action of the game. Um, I would like to quickly. Uh, oh my god, I just like forgot how to talk. Okay. So I have a specialization in engineering called, I can do that. Would that be helpful here? Or is this more of an Aether Tech kind of role, do you think? Engineering might get you there. It, that is definitely more of the kind of nuts and bolts triangulation, um, as opposed to True. being able to uh, use technology to kind of feel out where it might be. So engineering, you might be able to do it with a sextant. Yeah, that's true. Then I do think I'm going to probably use Aether Tech. And I would like to do this uh, swiftly, so I am going to use that tactic. Okay. Uh, Aether Tech, um, so of course, is, is one of our 16 talents that pertains to Aether-based technology, uh, which is most, if not all, technology. There are yep. some exceptions out there in the galaxy, but most technology runs on Aether. And people who have access to Aether basically act as a circuit for any kind of technology. With your own power adding to it, you can do all sorts of things with Aether Tech, including triangulate a signal. Yeah. We're um, all and then potato how many... batteries in the drag dragon's Yes. Lake. I'm a yam battery. <laughs> and then, as a wizard, I can feel the Aether in most things that use it. Mm -hmm. um, how many what can I? What, what's going on with this data pad? Uh, this data pad is a fairly basic piece of technology. I would say it has the equivalent of two aether dice worth of complexity to it. Uh, there's okay. nothing too I'll fancy use, about it. Yeah, I'll use um, an aether dice from the data pad as well. Okay. Um, this so is, I'm rolling. Yeah. Uh, uh, the the number you're trying to beat to explain to our listener is one set by me, and I will try to give you a, an idea of the difficulty of the role prior to going into it, uh, simply so you know the appropriate number of Aether Dice to use, so I don't lull you into a false sense mm -hmm. of security. Uh, this is a challenging role, which is kind of our next step up in difficulty. You're going to be needing at least a 15 to get this. Okay. Because the signal is quite garbled by the f uh, fact that there is an active volcano down there. Or what might be a volcano if it appeared naturally. Alright, I am going to use an Aether Dice from this data pad. Okay. Um, okay, so I'm going to roll my tactic, my talent, and my Aether Dice. Well... What's your total? Didn't do it. It's ten. Ten. And the difficulty was, of course, fifteen. As a challenge, you role. can do it. You can. Now is a perfect time to introduce our other mechanic in this game. This other type of dice that we have. Void dice. Yeah. Void is a shortcut across the galaxy. And so too, void dice are a shortcut to many pathways. One may spend an Aether dice and roll it. And add it to their roll. And when they do, 
Where does that Aether Dice go? That Aether Dice goes to me. Avoid Dice? E- you avoid, mean dice. avoid Dice. That Void Dice goes to me, the GM. And I will use those Void Dice. Oh, I will use them for many wicked things. You will. Alternatively. You will indeed. If you do not feel confident in your ability to roll high, you can just straight up spend Void Dice. One at a time to achieve your ends. This particular roll would cost you two Void Dice. And if you spend those two without even rolling, just spend them. You'll succeed. <laughs> I am going to roll. Ah. And I rolled a five, which gets me to exactly 15. Exactly to oh, 15. yeah. Booyah. Right off the bat, Mike's already got a tool against us. Great. <laughs> cool, 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 cool. And I can use those void dice at any time I choose to create complications for our players, to increase the difficulty of things by a roll of the dice. I can spend them to activate adversaries out of turn order. Uh, I can I can do it for all I can use them for all sorts of things. And that is the first that I have been given. Can we use them to go out of order in initiative? If you wanted to spend them and give them to me to take extra turns, I think that could be negotiated. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Okay, 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 cool. Cool, 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 cool. Be just like, uh, Amari's gonna take 14 turns in a row. Be right back. Mike, <laughs> Real quick. I give you all of the void dice. Please do. No, 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 no. So with the help of that void dice, you have found that whatever this signal is, it is coming not from any one of the islands beneath you. It is coming from inside the house. Inside the ship. It is coming from the spear of moon jutting up out of the ocean. Oh. Now, Duma, I'm not going to try to ask you if you can land on that, but... It would certainly be tricky. I'm not saying I could not. I feel pretty confident that, I mean, I, your talent is quite extraordinary, but landing on top of a molten piece of moon fragment. But moon fragment is not molten, it is water beneath moon fragment that is molten. <sighs> Fair point. Oh, actually, no, bottom of moon fragment also molten. It is yeah. melting! Oh, wow. I, yeah, I, I, I would, uh, expect that that's probably the source of uh, the need for a distress signal. Duma, what's the closest? What is the closest spot you can land to that? Oh. They could land there, I suppose. And you see him pointing as the shuttle wheels around this enormous spar of moon rock jutting up out of the sea. As you come around a side of it, you see a landing platform jutting out Bingo. from the moon rock. A large hangar door, albeit sideways, in the side of this enormous sliver of rock. Now, sliver might be giving you the wrong impression about the width and size of this thing. Miles? While it is... Or comparatively. Yes. Compared to, oh, say, a moon... It mm. is but a sliver, but it stands several miles up out of the sea, piercing the lower stratosphere, and hmm. 
the upper stratosphere of the Earth's crust here. And it is perhaps a half mile in width along the angle that you're seeing it with the sideways landing pad. Well, that is unusual. Convenient, though. Mm. Wait, so how are you going to land there? Magnetic clamp is for making soft seal on side of ship. Okay. Most of the shuttles are fitted with them. None. Because Reed would know that. Are the hangar doors open or no? Uh, You'd have to get closer to find out. From this distance, it doesn't appear that they are. So there's a... There's a landing pad on the fragment of the moon. I just want to make sure, like, the spear coming out of the... It looks but the landing though... pla- pad is, like, at an angle? How much of an angle? Like, It is about at a, I would say, 78 degree angle. That's going to be bad on the ankles trying to stand on that. Is there... And what was once a hillside... That now looks to be a, a sloping, curved piece of the moon is facing down towards the landing pad. And there are doors that go up into what was once a piece of this moon. Let's do it. Yeah. Duma will shrug and say, Okie And bring the shuttle in. There is an awkward moment as you all get lurched back in your seats as the shuttle reorients itself and seals on this landing pad made of some kind of synthetic blend of metals it is built for this sort of landing action albeit not necessarily at this angle the shuttle on the other hand is absolutely built for this sort of thing the shuttles of the coal foundation have to be able to land in awkward and sometimes precarious situations if they want to evacuate people from, say, stranded ships or collapsing mega buildings. This is not necessarily the most unusual position that Duma has landed in, in his tenure as a pilot. Is it considered landing if he lands upside down? Or yes. was that, is it still landing or is he hanging? Direction is relative. The gate is down. As you, I mean, yeah, he could absolutely do that. I, it depends. Did you want him to do that? No, I'm just curious if, like, terminology-wise, is he still landing mm-hmm. if he's upside yes. down? Okay. From your position, stuck here on the side of this moon, as you land, there is an unsettling moment as this sliver lurches ever so slightly, maybe half a degree. You're not quite sure how long it's going to remain standing. That is, uh... Not good. We better hurry. Uh, and I will unclip myself and hurry. Hmm. I'm wondering, is there, um, is there any, do I have any idea of, like, a ship that, um, that looks like a spherical, like, planetoid? Is, is that something that sounds familiar? Does it fire a big laser? <laughs> can, it, can it only be destroyed by one tiny little port on it? it just, just An exhaust port, specifically? Why, why would you build that kind of critical port. failure system yeah. into a... He did it because he was trying to save everybody! <laughs> he did it because he loved his daughter, that's why. Yeah. If you are looking for some kind of knowledge that your character might have, I think there is a talent associated 
with uh, that. And that would be the knowledge talent. Hey! And I have, I'm going to use a D8 in uh, Dragon's Wake history to see if there is any record of anything like this existing. Okay. Um, so, that's so on a broad list. historical level, is there any record of moon-shaped <laughs> shaped slash sized uh, vessels? Uh-huh. Uh, this is what happens when you build a character that has access to an infinite library space library and knows how to use it and isn't an idiot. So, <laughs> good job. Strange. I, it's almost like yeah, I, I specialized <laughs> in the skill that helps me. It's weird. Yeah, it's strange. Why, um, would, why would someone choose to do that? Yeah. How come you didn't uh, make a sword out of your knowledge? <laughs> Give me time. Uh, it's, no. it's almost like I made this character specifically to dunk on you. <laughs> <laughs> I am unfazed. <laughs> what what kind of my, uh, role am I looking at here? Well, this sounds okay. like uh, what kind of tactic are you using? This sounds pretty clever to me. Yes, yeah, so I'm going to be using uh, my clever die, and I'm going to be using my Dragon's Wake history die. Oh wait, um, I would say off the top of your head, this doesn't sound like a thing. So pulling out this level of esoterica uh, definitely sounds like it's a would be pretty incredible. To, yeah. to to see a ship of, of that size. Yeah, uh, exactly. And to, let alone to know about it. Right. Okay. Um, Incredible, just... of course, being a, a 25 difficulty. <laughs> okay. I don't think there's any way that I can, once per scene, though, I can spend one Aether die. I'm going to do that. I'm going to spend one Aether die to use my Mastermind trait mm-hmm. and double your Tactic and Talent die. Okay. Ooh. So this... Uh, you could yeah, roll two of your tactic and talent dice, and you used the mastermind trait. So traits are special, unique abilities in this system that characters mm-hmm. can have, that they can uh, spend their aether dice in interesting and unique ways, or it modifies the way in which they use aether dice. Uh, and then I am also going to spend another aether point just to give me an aether die on top of the roll. Okay. Uh, just to just see what I can do. Just for our listeners' sake, what dice are you rolling right now? So I am rolling a d10 for my clever. I'm very clever. Mm-hmm. I'm rolling a d8 for my history. Uh, I am rolling, uh, well, I guess, and then I double those. Mm-hmm. So, so it's two d10s and two d8s. And then I'm rolling one aether die, which is a d6. Right. That's uh, a that's, nice little fistful uh, of dice and trying to get to 25. <laughs> okay. You got are you kidding me? 24 god. <laughs> okay. So you can get over that hump with a void die. Oh my you know I'm gonna It's impossible not to accomplish it. Yeah. I yeah. Though that being said, the rule with void dice that I should list now is if you ever roll a one on a void die, it automatically adds another void die to the pool, making it more likely that you're going to have some kind of awesome outcome as it increases the amount that you'll be uh, succeeding by. But... But there's a trade-off. But there's a trade-off. So you only need the one. And, I mean, it's just a 1 in 12 chance. What are the odds? Exactly. Oh, right. I forgot to D12. Let me just grab one of those. So yes, spending this D12, 
you'll most certainly make this incredible roll. Hmm. Eight. So uh, that would be uh, 32. 32 is very good. And another thing to keep in mind, of course, when you are rolling is that a, a critical success is is when you uh, roll 10 better than the thing you're trying to get to. Gotcha. That, let's see, that is not a critical success, um, but it will be a success nonetheless. When thinking back on the history of the Dragon's Wake, there are many large ships that have been built over the millennia that interstellar travel has been a thing in this galaxy. The largest of those vessels are the Imperial Supercarriers, made by the Mad Emperor Galen of the Conus Empire. Called Mad because he built supercarriers. These are vessels the size of continents. Uh, and and just to clarify, made by the Mad um, uh, uh, King, Mad Emperor Galen Conus. He was called Mad because he built supercarriers in a time of relative peace. He created thirteen of them. Then it almost bankrupted the Conus Empire. Worth. Well, I mean, some would argue that it was worth it because many of those supercarriers were used five years ago. To annihilate the Minos Dominion. And I was the opponent in that situation. Worth it. When you have a ship that can blot out the sky for most of several time zones, it tends to have an intimidation factor that one can't quite quantify. Yes, and the Imperial Supercarriers are the largest ships ever built, as far as most people are concerned. And they are huge, and they are absurd, and the cost of building one almost bankrupted a galactic empire, something the size of a moon? You don't think it's even possible to fund something like that. Oh, so this this would have to be larger than that. Yes. Holy shit. I mean, it appears to be like made out of moon material. All I, the exterior moon. that you can see appears to be just rock. So you don't think this mm. is a piece of a larger ship, necessarily. There might have just been a moon base of some kind, the remnants of which got blasted onto this planet. Alright. That being said, you do know of one other style of ship that is equally as large, though it is near mythical, and that is the Elvish Mothership. Uh, Elvish spacecraft have the ability to interlock with each other, creating larger and larger craft. A mothership is said to be the largest possible configuration of Elvish technology. The only one that has ever been constructed disappeared, and no one knows what happened to it. Until now. Yeah. Oh, just think of... Oh, think the, of the, the, the exciting... you're writing claim I would receive the funds. I mean, this would be worth at least... Oh, I don't even know how much. This is fantastic. Um, okay. Uh, and... This is a little... I don't don't want to burst your bubble, but this is a little too organic to be Elvish. Well, then whatever this is, would have to be something comparably the size of, of the I think it's a moon. Was. Or was it? It seems to be multi-purpose. Perhaps. I mean, you can build a base into a moon. 
It's called a moon base. Is is there a is there is that a common thing? Yeah, like, sure. <laughs> that's what uh, that's what that is. Good use of my talent. Mm. <laughs> I like that right. world. Makes me happy. You are now docked at a nearly ninety degree angle. Okay, I was gonna say. With the doors of the moon base above you, and they appear to be mostly closed. They're still slightly open, seemingly ajar and jammed in some fashion. The doors appear maybe non-operational at the angle at which one of them is slightly bent inward, but there is an opening. Mech-sized opening? Or a... Well, any size opening can become a mech-sized opening with the right application of mech. Mm -hmm. All right. No, mech stays inside. Oh, okay. I mean, maybe, unless we need it. Well, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Um, Well, how do you propose we get across? The mech, I mean, if we can't get across, the mech's not certainly going to be able to get across. Oh, does it not fly? Oh, it doesn't fly. We did establish that. Yeah, it don't fly. It's a ground unit. You can drop them from space, and they can come down and go poof. But I mean, that's not really flying, it's falling. With style. A lot of, yeah. a lot of things can fall. So. Gotta put mag- yeah. hmm. Next project is putting magnetic magnets in the feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, just to get a better um, visual picture of this. So we are docked at an angle. Would we have to like climb around the ship to get to this landing? You could have the ship docked in a manner in which the entry ramp is facing up. Okay. Very easy to accomplish. Yeah. So we're the thing is at a seventy or seventy-five degree angle. The ramp, the the uh, the door is at the like height of it, the topmost part of the landing ramp, and the mm-hmm. rest of it is facing down into like an ocean or whatever. A boiling magma-filled ocean. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> Cool. Alright. How big is this door? This this door? Are we talking like when it's fully open, we'd be able to fly several of these shuttles and end inside, or like if the doors were fully open, you would be able to fly the shuttle, maybe two shuttles width inside. It's a okay. large door. Okay. Do we have anything on board that might help us uh, get over to to that door? Well, it sounds like one might spend an experience point, if one has one, to retroactively say, hey, we have this useful thing. Does anybody have any extra experience points? I don't know what that means, but... (laughs) Well... I do. Oh, well. Not using it on this. We can just climb up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like, like, obviously we're just gonna climb. Oh, that seems... Yeah. Alright, well, I guess that's what we're doing. I mean, the easiest thing is one of us goes up. Florian, you want up first, or do you want me to go up first? I, I mean, I can go up first. That's fine. Right. Is there, are there any, even though we're a humanitarian, are we equipped with any sort of weapons at all? You have or what you would bring with you. No. Could be a weapon. I would say it's not necessarily standard issue, so it's whatever your okay. personal accoutrement would be. Right, okay, so I have my pistol. <laughs> sure. I'm wondering if anyone else has any weapons. Uh, no need. 
Uh, as the archive says, knowledge, if knowledge is power, then we have more than anything else in the universe. <laughs> uh, I usually just stand That's behind Florian. I have this big knife. It's a very good knife. I am going to, um, I, I'm, I'm just going to try to climb across. Okay. I mm -hmm. think. That sounds like you are acting meaningfully. How would you like to do this? It does. I would like to carefully, so I don't fall to my magma-y doom, hmm. use, um, it, yeah, I, sorry, my theater of the mind is not working super well tonight. Mm -hmm. Would this be a thing where I would have to just like, yeah, hoist myself up? Yeah, then that sounds like an athletics role. That does baby. sound like an athletics role, baby. Ninja warrior it up. <laughs> I'm gonna ninja warrior it up. And I will take, um, I'm assuming I don't need to spend experience point to say we have like some sort of rope. Seems reasonable that you'd have okay. some kind of line. Rope yeah. is a little passe. There's definitely some kind of nylon cord that comes in 50 foot lengths. Florian Human... definitely still calls it rope. It's very quaint. <laughs> but so, yeah. this does look like it is a hard climb up this fairly steep incline. There are handholds here and there that will make it a little easier, and especially once you get to the door, hoisting yourself up in there would be relatively easy, but the climb itself is about a, a 15 foot from the ramp leading out of the shuttle to the the open door of nearly vertical climb. Oh, that that's okay. I I I've done I did this a lot back home. Can I give Florian a boost? Like a stand in my put your hoof in my hands and I'll lift or whatever. I don't know. You've got nothing really to stand on. Uh, that's true. I guess we're coming out of the ship mm -hmm. at an angle. Yeah. Okay. Never mind. Do it yourself. So yes, I would say this is pretty hard, so that's a twenty on the difficulty. Okay. You can do it. Uh I can do it. Um I am going to yeah, like I said, carefully use my athletics. I am also going to use my own Aether Pool. Okay. And I'm going, I don't, I really don't want to die, so I'm going to use four. That's fair. That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Not dying, I mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's um, the best. <laughs> you said it was a 20? Yes. Oh, gosh. Should have used one less Aether die. That is a 25. 25. Oh. Now, um, you could push this with Void Dice to try to go for the critical victory. <laughs> you just need five more. You, you almost had me there, Mike. No. And I, I think just uh, for the, the listeners' edification, everyone has a a pool of, of Aether that exists within them. Um, some people are more able to manipulate it than others. Florian is especially good at manipulating his his own and to the point where I, I he has at least limited control over the hormone levels in his own system um and so he can jack up the adrenaline and cause his his muscles to go into hypertrophy so he basically just like can get real buff real quick <laughs> nice and that's what taro he hulk yeah, yeah. Cool. okay uh, so yeah, carefully, but efficiently, you hoist yourself up this near vertical incline, 
clambering hand over hand, you vault up to a handhold and then over to the door, scrambling up onto the inside of this derelict base. You're immediately struck by the sound in this place that wasn't immediately obvious from the outside due to the howling winds of being nearly a mile up into the sky. And that is the low-pitched whine of an alarm that slowly resolves as the wind gets out of your ears and you stand on the top interior of this broken door. You hear a voice crying out from somewhere deep in this place, within the alarm itself, shouting, Help! 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 And I think there is a good place to end this particular episode of Material Components. And we will see you again real soon, I'm sure. But of course, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at MatcomRPG. That's spelled M-A-T-C-O-M-R-P-G. We also have an email address, which is MaterialComponentsRPG at gmail.com. We always love hearing from all of our listeners. You can find me on Twitter at Elliot C. Lewis, where I post art and post about Matcom. You can also find links to my Patreon and Society6 stores there, so you can help support me. You can find me on Twitter at CryOutOlivia, um, where I talk about all sorts of stuff, including mostly tabletop RPGs. Uh, come hang out. If you want to find me on Twitter and Instagram, you can find me at The Readamus, where I post lots of pictures of my adventures and tweets about my shenanigans. I also run the Matcom RPG Instagram account, so you can also find us there at Matcom RPG. And you can support us by rating and reviewing our podcast on whatever platform you're listening to. And when you do, include the name of an NPC in the subject line of the, of the review, and we will put that NPC into this campaign. That is absolutely true. And when you do, you can also find me on Twitter at MKGergoni, where I'm always happy to talk about all things Matcom and tabletop RPGs. Such as our good, good friend Omatep, who you can also find on Twitter, at NPC underscore AN, because even though he is not in this campaign yet, he is, of course, an important NPC. Thank you all so much for listening, and as always, the world, the galaxy, is chaos. So please, be kind to one another. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye.